Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome you to this special edition of Inside EMS. Kelly Grayson is on the EMS World Tour teaching in Waterloo, New York today. But I do have two special guests. You know, with all these closings that are happening with school, we have to think about our EMS educators and how are they going to deliver the education that they need to to their students. Is it something that we just say, come back in 30 days? Or do we need to consider the resources of how we can get them educated? And I've got two of the best educators, and if you remember them back in the old days from the EMS Educast, our editor-in-chief, Greg Fries, who is uh, with us, and Rob Terrio is going to kind of talk about it. But, you know, Greg, when we think about this from the standpoint of EMS educators, what are they going to do, and how are they going to deliver the information they need to, to their students? Yeah, right, Chris. Thanks for having this conversation. You know, first of all, Let's just be uh, uh, grateful for all the EMTs and paramedics and other public safety professionals that are out in the field right now assessing patients or preparing their department uh, for likely increasing call volume of their fellow responders or peers getting uh, sick or ill as well as uh, protecting their families. So that is number one. I think it's also important to acknowledge other operational and workforce concerns, you know, one of which is, you know, the sort of ongoing training and continuing education for EMTs and paramedics, just first to uh, training officers, you know, probably already recalibrating to only essential uh, continuing education, specifically with the coronavirus uh, focus and the related PPE uh, and assessment and treatment considerations. I think it's also worth mentioning mentioning that just yesterday, so that would have been Friday, March 13th, the National Registry of EMTs in the United States announced that the uh, biannual re-registration deadline of March 31st was being extended to June 30th and also making an allowance for uh, unlimited distance education. I think they call it uh, virtual instructor-led training to be able to complete that assignment. I expect any states that have registration deadlines in the next few weeks or months to also extend those. So there's some good news and acknowledgement that our workforce is either at peak uh, effort right now or soon will be. I think the other thing, you know, and you and Kelly regularly talk about the workforce and making sure that we've got a pipeline of EMTs and paramedics is, you know, there's all sorts of colleges, technical colleges across the U.S., and I imagine in Canada and other countries where they're closing campus and EMT and paramedic instructors are sort of like, now what? Uh, I've got uh, lectures to deliver, uh, simulations to run, uh, tests to deliver, and, you know, our friend Rob has, you know, been a leader in uh, online EMS education for decades now, and Rob, I really just want to throw it to you. You know, it's Saturday and there's a paramedic instructor somewhere that's trying to think, what do I do with my students on Monday when we can't be in class together or in the simulation lab together? You know, what do you want to tell those instructors? Yeah, first I want to echo um, your comments at the beginning of this conversation that, uh, um, you know, my thoughts are with uh, frontline providers who are, uh, you know, risking their health and their lives uh, dealing with this uh, COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Um, 
I was on the front lines during SARS in 2003, and it wasn't a very pleasant experience. You know, we were wearing N95 masks and in the heat, and it was quite uncomfortable. And um, you know, wearing the full PPE on most calls, and and I was also at the same time a, a program manager with our base hospital, which is um, uh, the uh, uh, regulatory body that oversees paramedics. And we were discussing at the um, uh, provincial Emergency Operations Center, uh, things like, um, you know, with cardiac arrest, for example, should we be intubating those patients or should we be selective about who we intubate? And um, that's a bit of a non-issue now with supraglottic airways, but, uh, you know, at the time we were even debating should we make any attempts at resuscitation if they were in a non-shockable rhythm. Um, we never got there, but uh, I could see that happening with COVID-19, you know, if it, if it continues for uh, a long period of time. So um, uh, I just came off the front lines a year ago after 35 years on the road and I've been an educator for the last 20 years as well. And uh, so I really feel for our frontline providers in uh, you know, paramedicine and fire and police uh, who, are, who are out there taking chances. And I think uh, you know, it's important to think about uh, things like um, tiered response and is it necessary for uh, all personnel to be attending shortens of breath calls? And the, the simple answer is no. So I'm hoping that um, EMS agencies and fire EMS agencies heed the warnings and the advice and, and uh, uh, rethink their tiered response under those circumstances. So uh, that's first and foremost. So uh, if you like, I, I can talk about, you know, what I think is the easiest way to transition to online learning or... Like you just said, that there's instructors that here it is on Saturday, they got to figure out how to deliver course material on Monday to help keep their students on track towards graduation, certification testing, and employment. And the paramedic program is challenging enough adding, you know, a couple extra months because you can't go to school. Um, it, it would be really difficult for a lot of people. So, you know, what do you want instructors to get ready to do today so they can run class on Monday? Yeah, well, hopefully the agencies they work for have um, some sort of plan in place and are giving them some guidance in that regard. If if um, if they're not getting that uh, kind of guidance, uh, I'd say the simple answer to moving online is essentially two words, screencasting and or webcasting. Okay, maybe that's four words, but screencasting, webcasting. <laughs> would be the easiest way to transition. Uh, they're not difficult technologies to learn. If you've never done them before, they're pretty intuitive. Uh, and we can talk about some of those um, some of those options. But uh, for, from a theory perspective, that would be the easiest way to transition. You wouldn't want to uh, develop a, a pedagogically robust uh, asynchronous online program, um, given the time frame that we're, we're facing. Yeah. You mentioned uh, webcasting and screencasting, I guess, First, uh, just a really quick definition on on what that is, and then what are some tools that you know people should you know pick one, create an account, and get ready to use it. Yeah, yeah. So let's start with uh, screencasting. So there are a number of tools, and and some that are free, and that's where I would go if I'm doing this for the first time. Uh, you know, such as Screencast-O-Matic or Snagit. TechSmith has actually come out and said we're going to offer you our services for free. Uh, I think until June or July, which is really quite remarkable because a lot of business 
businesses, unfortunately and unscrupulously, take advantage of human vulnerability and and raise their prices in a crisis. So we're starting to see companies now who are offering their services for free or reduced rate, which is really fantastic. But uh, so screencast is essentially, you know, uh, taking your PowerPoint on your laptop and narrating your PowerPoint and recording it simultaneously. So you're recording a video of you and your slides and your narration uh, and then posting it um, up on, say, for example, YouTube. Um, and uh, that's a free service. And uh, YouTube is a channel I would recommend. And if people aren't uh, crazy about having the entire world seeing what they publish on there, you can just uh, make it unlisted and just provide the URL, URL links to your students. Um, so uh, there are a number of tools for screencasting and we could probably provide some links in the show notes for this. And um, uh, webcasting by definition is essentially uh, um, you know, a live broadcast of a presentation via the web. And there are a number of different platforms. If you're looking for something for free, Google Hangouts is a good platform. Um, I'm not sure what other platforms are free right now. WizIQ is one of the cheapest I've ever seen. Um, and a lot of colleges and universities and agencies have either Zoom or WebEx, uh, some sort of platform for uh, webcasting. And so, you know, they need to consult with their, uh, with their managers to find out what's available through their own institution and uh, what the limits are in terms of participants, because uh, that's always a factor as well. But essentially, you know, you can either share your screen on a webcast or, or import um, uh, slide presentations into it and essentially uh, you know you and your students would communicate via uh, voiceover uh, uh, <laughs> yeah you could you'd be on online at the same time just like yeah. the three of our us are with uh, Skype okay. you could expand it to 10 or 20 or 30 or whatever the max number is you know your mention of YouTube Rob is uh, I think a really good one in that uh, you know, especially if somebody that isn't familiar with and experienced with doing screencasts, it's possible that a better use of their time could be searching YouTube for, you know, uh, yes. pediatric ACLS or PALS lectures that other people or a sepsis lecture or whatever the topic is that the class needs yeah. and then assigning the class to view that lecture uh, and then maybe turning to uh, a webcast like a Google Google Hangout, and say now that you've watched that, you know, let's have a discussion about what we just watched, or I, your instructor, uh, have questions or cases that we would talk through. Yeah, so you raise a really good point. In fact, um, uh, years ago, I started doing this on uh, Google Docs, and uh, you know, not to plug any names, but you can use any anything really. Um, I started creating a resource page for each course that I taught. So, uh, you know, for patient care theory one, for example, I have a Google Doc that has a list of links to videos, articles, all relevant to units one through unit ten, and um, so uh, and I update that on a regular basis. And sometimes students will send me a link to something, and I'll review it and go, "Wow, this is fantastic! It's credible, it's helpful," and I'll add that to that resource page. So it's a good idea. Uh, you know, now, uh, better than never, better than better late than never, you know, start creating that resource page so students can have access to that. So you're already, already ahead of the game. And it's always good as an educator to uh, always try to keep ahead of the curve, curve uh, you know, in terms of technology and in terms of anticipating. 
Hey, Rob, sure. let me ask you a question. So from the standpoint, you know, we talk about this online learning. When you think about using, you know, Zoom, I think is another great one to use. I think a free, yeah. a free account gives you 30 members that you can talk to. But what about Facebook Live? Is there any value in using Facebook Live when it comes to online education? Just in the yeah, short term, you know, for in the short term until you get something bigger or better, right? Yeah, I think whatever's available that's uh, that's free and, and, you know, try it out. Run a class. I haven't tried Facebook Live, but I, I'm going to try it now that you mention it. You know, try out a class and see how it works. See how your students like it. If it's a good communication platform, and if not, switch to Zoom, switch to um, Hangouts, switch to something else. Um, so yeah, or you know, better yet, go on these platforms on your own and try them out and play with them and get familiar with them in the next, uh, well, let's say, 24 hours <laughs> right. from Monday. You know, and, <laughs> and you, you go. Real quick, I'd like to just mention, certainly skill instruction, YouTube could be another resource for that. And depending on where your students are at in the process, they could also turn the camera on themselves and either uh, demonstrate, say, a patient assessment or depending on what sort of tools they have access to, um, demonstrate skills. Uh, I think, you know, the, the thing that's probably most at risk here in terms of the instruction is hands-on time, whether it be with a skill trainer or a mannequin or a high fidelity simulator. Um, Rob, I have a question, just, you know, quizzes or tests that, you know, I think there's probably still programs that are handing out paper tests and, um, you know, not able to do that now. Any ideas on, on where instructors can be, uh, tools they might use to quickly develop a test or think about other ways they might assess their students and sort of break out of the multiple choice exam, which uh, it has certain flaws to it anyway. Well, if you've got a learning management system at your agency or your institution, then you're you're in luck. Um, if you've never created a test online, then you know this will be a short learning curve for getting that online. Um, uh, short of that, if you work for an agency or a service or um, an institution that doesn't have a learning management system, then you've got a little bit of a conundrum. And uh, I don't know of um, testing services uh, for free, um, but I'm hoping that there are some companies out there offering their services, at least on a short-term basis. Maybe uh, some of the um, you know systems like Socrative and um, Kahoot. Uh, not the greatest options in the world for summative tests. Definitely fantastic for formative testing, uh, but I think right now you're in, you're you know as an educator you might be in a position where you're having to scramble and you have to find the best that you can find. And again, coming back to that earlier point, uh, you know there are lots of uh, places uh, in social media where educators can collaborate and learn from one another. And I think you want to, if you haven't already assembled your peer learning network, you want to uh, quickly get that together now. So find a place where other educators meet, maybe in social media or where your educators within your area meet and have some discussions because one of the best ways to learn is to get help from other people who are in the teaching business and can um, help you along. Rob, Thanks for having this quick conversation for us. I think you know, my inclination is we keep it short so people listen to this and then get to work to prepare for uh, delivering class virtually. 
Uh, yeah, I just want to add that that when it comes to the hands-on component, like lab component, uh, my college is hasn't shut down the labs yet. Um, I think what we're going to do, and I think some colleges and universities are, um, you know, giving some consideration to that, and and you know, because there are going to be no face-to-face classes, any theory classes at our college. That frees up a lot of time in the, in the institution. So I think what we may move to is lab classes, but reduce the numbers of students. So we keep the social interactions to a minimum. So we have maybe uh, a lab class four days out of the week, but smaller group sizes and uh, to get through the components. Because this is uh, the lab and the field placement is going to be a serious challenge for um, regulated health professions, especially like nursing, for example, where they have to meet certain milestones in their program in order for the program to maintain its accreditation and to achieve a certain number of learning outcomes. And even though paramedics in the United States and some provinces in Canada are not self-regulated, are not regulated health professions, uh, they have standards as well. And so this is going to be, um, you know, the, the, the challenge really is maintaining that. My other worry, too, is in the field, for example, um, uh, when SARS happened, um, the hospital where I was working um, uh, reached a point where they said no to students coming into the hospital right. because they wanted, you know, um, essential personnel only. And I was providing continuing education for paramedics at that time, about 350 paramedics. And they said no to paramedics, unless you're coming into the hospital in your uniform with a patient, you're not to come in here for continuing education. So I had to scramble to, uh, uh, to find recreation centers to run our CE and to, to teach live online using a webcasting platform. And so the, the field placement for health providers right across the board uh, could could come to a halt very quickly. So uh, I think all educators need to think about that very quickly and 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 ask yourselves, you know, are we far along enough in the course of the semester where we could grade the student based on what we've seen so far? Um, so yeah, it's it's a little bit of pandemonium. And um, uh, you know, I'd say if any if we learn anything from this, for goodness sakes, let's do some serious debriefing and contingency planning before the next encounter. Right. So I, I want to thank you, uh, Rob, for joining us. Uh, Greg, always a thank pleasure you. to have you on. Now, everybody out there, I mean, thank you for joining us on this special edition of Inside EMS. And maybe you've answered these questions, and maybe you've found these resources, or maybe you have a special way that you can get this education to your students. Go ahead and share it in the comments below. I think that this is the opportunity for us as a career field to come together and really kind of figure out how best do we manage them. And Greg, do you have any final thoughts? I just want to uh, end where we started and just uh, recognize and be thankful to all the field providers, as Rob described, that are out on the front lines, not only for uh, patients with the COVID-19, but you know all the usual calls that are still coming in and uh we're really grateful for all of those folks and uh you know the agencies and departments that they're a part of that are supporting those efforts in the field thanks so much